Blog Talk. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 21st, 2017, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, we have only a few spots left for our March Starseed Quest, and our May Quest is now full. This Starseed Gathering is a Soul Family Reunion in Arkansas, and eligibility requires having at least one star marking at galactic degree, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a new four-day event redesigned to bring all starseeds to their next level of activation in the most powerful crystal energy on the planet. If you feel the call of the crystals and a desire to reunite with your starseed family, you can register for our Spring Equinox Athena's Birthday Gathering, which is March 17th through the 20th. And um, any inquiries, write to crystals, that's plural, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com. Well, we have a landmark show for you this evening. Over 25 years ago, when I first met Lavendar, the first book she gave me as part of my training was ET-101, the Cosmic Instruction Manual. It was an underground sensation back then, and you may have heard heard her refer to it over the years, but it disappeared from the marketplace rather mysteriously. After a long quest to find the author, which only said anonymous on the book, Lavendar has at last found Diana Lupi, and wait until you hear her story. The challenges she endured for writing this book caused her to go incognito for many years, but tonight, right here on our show, she's making her first public debut with her plans for the international second release of ET 101. We commend you, Diana, for your commitment to truth and the courage to step out there again for the benefit of awakening starseeds everywhere. You can follow Diana's journey on her website, which is et101.net. We'd like to thank Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight. For those who may have a comment or question for our guest, and Vanya, hope you're still staying warm up there in Canada. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when your solar return will happen just by requesting it on our website. And if you want a stage two interpretation of that chart, please order it at least two or three months ahead of time so that you uh, get it in before your 10 hours because we do have a waiting list. 
So first this evening, I want to introduce Anastasia and her amazing Starseed News. <laughs> Good evening, Arielle. Good evening, Starseed hey. listeners. Hi. How you it's doing? Great to be back. I'm great, and it's going to be just a fabulous show tonight. This is truly a landmark show, so... I can't yes. wait to hear it. It's going to be good, good. And I want to thank our guests for coming on board. Bless your heart. Well, as of today, February 21st, a lot of news to report. We'll start with the sun. We do have a gash in the sun's atmosphere. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Uh, there's an unusually wide and sinuous hole that is opened up in the sun's atmosphere, and it's stretching like a gash across the sun's southern hemisphere. Now, this is a roughly fan-shaped stream of solar wind flowing from the hole that's gently buffeting Earth's magnetic field. They say that it could keep polar magnetic fields in an unsettled state for the rest of this month. Long-range forecasts suggest that the month could end up with a moderately strong geomagnetic storm. That would be a G2 class, moderately strong. That comes from spaceweather.com. And in Europe... Rising concerns about a possible nuclear incident in Europe after there has been a radioactive iodine levels spike. That's right, concerns about a potential and, I might say, strongly and unsubstantiated nuclear incident, reportedly that occurred in the vicinity of the Arctic Circle, spread in the past week after trace amounts of radioactive iodine-131 of unknown origin were detected last month in January over large areas of Europe, according to a report by the Institute for Radiological Protection and Nuclear Safety, which is the French uh, national group. And these are people who are experts in nuclear and radiological risks. Now, since this particular isotope has a half-life of only eight days, the detection is an indication of a recent release. Where the radioactivity is coming from is still a mystery. They haven't been able to trace it. Wow. And the, the disappearing honeybee population could spell trouble for crops. According to uh, this article out of the Internet, the honeybee contributes to a third of the country's food supply, but the population is declining, as you all know. Now, last year, 8% of the bees disappeared, according to the American Beekeepers Federation. Now, the situation was more severe between 2015 and 2016 when there was a 44% decrease in colonies. Now, the president of the Bee Informed Partnership says that if this trend continues, it could limit the food that Americans are able to eat. He said, if we didn't have honeybees, we certainly would lose a lot of our diet. He told uh, researcher or reporters that that would include things like strawberries, blueberries, and vegetables. Now, the honeybee is not is the only insect uh, that that can't be right. But it says the honeybee is the only insect that produces food eaten by humans. I believe there are other pollinating insects. By the way, I'm sorry I didn't catch that when I was editing it. Um, anyway, honeybees do populate or pollinate over 75 percent of the flowering uh, plants and crops. So other uh, pollinating insects only do about 25% of the pollinating. Anyway, honeybees, of course, are one of the top pollinators in the United States, needless to say. And that means that the bee travels up to six miles a day and pollinates between 50 to 100 flowers per trip. Now, the pollination process occurs when the pollen sac from one flower sticks to a honeybee's legs and is transferred then to another plant. 
pollen within the sac spills out when the bee lands on the plant, and that causes fertilization. Um, if you remember last uh, last summer, I was telling you that I didn't have any honeybees in my garden, and I had to go out with a Q-tip and pollinate my tomatoes. And uh, they didn't show up until very late in the summer. So anyway, I hope that this year will be better for honeybees, and let us hope that this trend does not continue. We love them and we need them. But that is what they're saying, that uh, if we have a continued decline, we may be missing some foods in our diets, not to mention the wonderful honeybee. Well, there is a strong 6.5 magnitude tremor that struck Bolivia today. It was a strong earthquake, uh, struck a mountainous region in central Bolivia. It, uh, uh, the shaking was felt in cities across the region. The earthquake was a deep one. It struck at a depth of 370 miles. That's really way down there. And today's tremor is the strongest tremor to hit Bolivia since November 2011 when there was a 6.6 magnitude quake that struck west of, west of Trinidad in north-central Bolivia. So that's the, just about the strongest since 2011. <clears throat> well, here's a story. i tell you what. Oh, boy. Scientists have discovered a way to erase traumatic memories. Ah. Scientists in Canada have taken the idea of positive thinking to a brand new level. They are deciding that they can target and erase bad memories from our brains. Now, the findings could be used to treat post-traumatic stress disorder and addiction, they say, but thoughtful experts have warned of huge ethical implications. Researchers at the University of Toronto have found a way to target and erase fear-based memories in mice after discovering the neurons which are used to form these types of memories in the brain. Oh, my goodness. They discovered something. Now what are they going to do? Well, uh, they say, and I quote, this is a professor at the Department of Physiology uh, who kind of headed up this research. She said, although there are millions of neurons in the brain, only a few of them are necessary to form a fear or threat memory. Now, researchers were able to flag up the neurons creating the bad memories by overproducing a certain brain protein in mice and then targeted and genetically removed those neurons to erase the bad memories while they managed to keep others. <clears throat> she said, our findings suggest that one day it could be possible to treat people uh, with PTSD and other traumatic memories by erasing those memories. And in these people... The memories are intrusive and disrupt their lives. Now, the goal of these researchers is to find a pharmacological way to target and inactivate those neurons, just like a heat-seeking missile drug. They want to use drugs to do this. And according to the research, scientists were able to remove cocaine addiction in the mice by removing the memories associated with the drug. Now, although the idea of a life without bad memories might seem appealing to some, the researcher warned of the huge ethical implications and considerations involved in erasing memories. There could be potential downsides, especially when applied to people who would like to get rid of a bad memory, because we all learn from our mistakes. If we erase the memory of our mistakes, what is to keep us from repeating them? And while the research shows that erasing memories is possible, our society needs to develop ethical policies around the potential use of these and other uh, engineering modalities. 
just because something is possible does not mean it should be done. I agree. So what do you guys think about that? I agree. That? <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Stop just them. because you Somebody can. Stop them. The mad scientists <laughs> are on the loose. Okay. Well, Siberian tribes are showing first-ever cases of obesity after introducing a high-carb uh, uh, processed foods into their diet. Is anybody surprised about that? I like to report on Siberia because it has been such an isolated, uh, protected pocket uh, of, of people in a world that is rapidly changing. Well, that has been true up until recently. They've begun to develop Siberia, the Russians are rapidly developing and using Siberia for advancing their uh, economy and their scientific research and so on and so forth. Well, anyway, in the meantime, the first ever cases of obesity have been recorded among those nomadic Arctic reindeer herders once they became exposed to instant noodles and other junk foods. Now, Russian scientists are warning about the dramatic change in the Nenets and the Kanti peoples on the icy Yamal Peninsula in northern Siberia who for centuries have eaten only traditional foods, and their traditional foods were a diet based on venison and fresh river fish. Before today, before this present time, obesity was unknown among the indigenous peoples, but now outside influences are changing everything. Researchers have found that the intake of venison and river fish by the nomadic tribes has been cut by half because they've introduced noodles, pasta, bread, pastry, and sugar are now a part of their diet, which is resulting in obesity and lowered disease resistance. Progress, folks, that's progress, so they say. Well, here's an interesting article out of San Francisco. In San Francisco, they've passed a law forcing all pet shops to only sell rescue dogs and cats in an effort to eradicate inhumane puppy breeding operations. That's right. San Francisco officials have voted to ban the sale of non-rescue dogs and cats at pet shops as a part of a concerted effort to eradicate inhumane puppy breeding operations in their city. Now, the amendment will not affect licensed breeders. However, it will aim to tackle the prevalence of large-scale puppy mills while helping to facilitate the adoption of thousands of animals already occupying the the city's shelters. Now, San Francisco is not the first city to implement such a measure, which will also ban the sale of animals under eight weeks old. Los Angeles, San Diego, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, and Austin all enforce similar legislation. And I'm quoting here, this is a quote from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Quote, most animal lovers are horrified at the thought of keeping their beloved family pet in a dirty wire cage for a second, let alone a week, month, or even years. Yet that is the fate of many animals at large-scale commercial breeding operations across the nation, including the mothers of many puppies and kittens sold in pet shops. So this is an attempt by these cities, and in particular San Francisco, to uh, offer some humanity for animals. So that's what they're doing. And uh, how many of you have rushed to the department stores or wherever to buy your new Samsung Samsung Smart Television? Samsung Smart. Can you say that, Ariel? I don't want to try. Smart Television. 
I can't say that. That's a tongue twister. Well, did you know what? That is a spy in your living room. Samsung confirms, the company confirms, that smart televisions capture all nearby conversations and transmit those conversations to a third party. Ah. Uh, Samsung has confirmed that its smart TV sets are listening to customers every word, and the company is warning customers not to speak about personal information while near their TV sets. The company revealed that the voice activation feature on its smart TVs will capture all nearby conversations. The TV sets can share the information, including sensitive data, with Samsung as well as third-party services. Now, the news comes after Shane Harris at the Daily Beast pointed out a troubling line in Samsung's privacy policy. And I quote, Please be aware that if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and transmitted to a third party. End quote. Well, Samsung has now issued a new statement uh, clarifying how the voice activation feature works. Quote, If a consumer consents and uses the voice recognition feature, Voice data is provided to a third party during a requested voice command search. At that time, the voice data is sent to a server, which searches for the requested content and then returns the desired content to the TV. Now, the company added that it does not retain or sell the voice data, and uh, it has named the third party in question as Nuance Communications, Inc. That's where they're sending their info. So, buyer beware. Now, (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind watching TV, but I don't want it watching me. Well, yeah, that's very well said, Ariel. Perfect. Succinct and perfect. I like that. (laughs) Uh, Your ancestors' experiences, did you all know this, could leave a mark on your genes. There's been a lot of discussion about this over the years. We've talked about genetic memory. Well, according to Discover Magazine, Your ancestors' lousy childhoods or exciting adventures could change your personality. Their experiences could give you anxiety or possibly resilience by altering the epigenetic expressions of genes in the brain. There's an old joke. I'm going to share it with you. Darwin and Freud walk into a bar. Two alcoholic mice, a mother and her son, sit on two bar stools, lapping gin from two thimbles. Darwin, by the way, is one mouse, and Freud is the other mouse. So uh, the mice are talking among themselves, and uh, they're discussing uh, how a certain person got into a sorry state. And the Darwin mouse says, it's bad inheritance. And the Freud mouse says, it's bad mothering. So which is it? Which which causes uh, bad behavior? What causes... Uh, misfortunate lives, is it bad inheritance or is it bad mothering? And for over 100 years, those two views, whether it's nature or nurture, biology or psychology, has been a discussion and opposing ideas about how behaviors develop and how they have a hold on people's lives, not just within a single person, but across generations. And working with people, and any of you who do work with people, we can see familial patterns uh, going across time. Well, according to the new insights of behavioral epigenetics, traumatic experiences in our past or in our recent ancestors' past 
leave molecular scars that adhere to our DNA. For instance, Jews whose great-grandparents were part of the Holocaust or Chinese whose grandparents lived through the ravages of the Cultural Revolution or immigrants from Africa whose parents survived massacres, adults of every ethnicity who grew up with alcoholic or abusive parents all carry with them more than just memories, according to this research. They say that like silt deposited on the cogs of a finely tuned machine, uh, our experiences and those of our forebears are never gone, even if they have been forgotten. They become a part of us, a molecular residue holding fast to our genetic scaffolding. They say the DNA remains the same, but psychological and behavioral tendencies are inherited You might have inherited not just your grandmother's knobby knees, but also her predisposition toward depression caused by the neglect that she might have suffered as a newborn. Now, before you get too depressed, (laughs) hang in there. (laughs) (laughs) Or not, you know, if your grandmother was adopted by nurturing people or loved by nurturing parents, you might enjoy that boost. And so what they are saying is, is that the genome has long been known to be the blueprint of life but they have something called an epigenome. They say is life's etch-a-sketch. If you shake it hard enough, you can wipe clean the family curse. Now, the, the story went on to say that um, we can modify uh, the epigenetic uh, aspect of our genes, and I didn't really get into what that is. Um, I thought that might be a, too, a bit too complicated for the broadcast, but... In any event, the bottom line is we may inherit tendencies, but we can recreate or modify uh, those tendencies uh, through effort, through consciousness, through awareness. And, uh, you know, etch-a-sketching, erasing things, wiping things clean, uh, working on the tenets of things that we want to work on, uh, and recognizing that consciousness does affect, you know, the genes respond to our attitudes, our awareness, our efforts, so on and so forth. Um, Information is power, so there you go. So if you inherited knobby knees, well, maybe or maybe not you can change that or can't, but certainly we can change certain other tendencies uh, that we have inherited, perhaps by recognizing that they really aren't ours, we don't want them, we can adjust them and uh, deal with it accordingly. So no matter what the geneticists say, uh, Starseed listeners know that uh, we have considerable more power over how we turn out then perhaps science would have us believe. What do you think about that, Ariel? You agree with that? <laughs> I completely agree. It's called, you know, free will cognizance. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, science has greatly contributed to our lives, but, man, uh, more and more they're going off the rails here, and more and more I am so thankful for what we know and uh, how we have this freedom of consciousness and this higher awareness that is uh, getting us uh, out of the cage and out of the box and into uh, a new expansion of power and uh, the kind of change that we want to become. We have a lot of challenges today. Lots of things are happening, very accelerated. It's a, it's a psychological, emotional, and physical stress to be living in these times. But we have the ability to tap into that spiritual power within us and the root of our souls uh, to make that shift. No matter what the world does, we can do something different. And so for the coming week, let that be our motto. (laughs) Let's move ahead and uh, do something different because we can. You know, the scientists 
do things that they shouldn't because they can. Let's let's us, we, Starseed, do things that we should because we can and we're fully capable of doing it. And I think that's a very exciting prospect and something to look forward to each day to create something beautiful in our lives and the kinds of change that we want in the world around us. All right, well, that's my little editorial comment, and that's it for tonight's news. I'm eager to give way for the wonderful guest. So thank you for the opportunity, and we'll meet back with you all again next week, Ariel. Great, great. Well, there's some really good stories tonight, and thank you so much for bringing us the Starseed News. So, um, you're you're so you're so much a a loved member of our team. Um, We are going to um, switch over now uh, to uh, bring in our guest and Lavendar. So, Lavendar, let me get your mic open, and uh, Diana, get your mic open. Okay, well, Diana, you are so welcome to come to this show and tell us your story, and Lavendar is going to kick it off for us. Great. Okay, Diana, you know how long I have looked for you? Over 20 years, and here you are. So welcome, my friend. Thank you. I just wanted to say that uh, when I first um, read ET 101, I was so thrilled because it was written in my language. And I hadn't find hadn't found anyone that could understand my language until I read your your little booklet, and then I tried to find you, and I couldn't find you. So at this time, I would like for you to share with us um, your early upbringing and the things that have happened to you since you wrote the book. You just start anywhere you want to start, girl. All right. Um, actually, there is a comment I wanted to make, actually, for the benefit of. Diana Winston, I listened to the interview you did last week with her. You need uh, to speak up a little louder. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Can you hear me better now? Okay. It's okay? All right. Um, The interview you did with Diana Winston, she mentioned that she kept having extraterrestrials talking. She'd talk to them, you know, and, and they'd be... Um, and she'd give them data. She even said she went in the closet and wouldn't undress in front of them because she was modest. But um, the one thing I wanted uh, to actually confirm for her is that I actually went through the same thing. Uh, I used to walk home from school and talk to these ETs, and I knew they were ETs, and I'd explain the customs and how people thought here and and how they, um, everything they did as if I were, you know, like, um, you know, just a pint-sized spy set in here to kind of give back data to the home world, wherever that was. But uh, So I went through that one, too. And so I just want to um, tell her that that, is real experience. It's not imagined. You know, um, I, I think what? there's several of us that have gone through that, and the more people that hear her story and your story, the more confident we're going to be to step out and tell our stories. So yes. go ahead. Tell us more about your your um, your younger life. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, I, I really never... Th- oh, that's another thing that took place was uh, I had a... Very in the seven, uh, second grade, I was about seven. 
I uh, they started doing all this math stuff, and I was in shock. On the way home, I started to tell the ETs that you will not believe how little they know about math. And I was in just horrified by what was going on in that class. And, uh, of course, that's a seven-year-old's, you know, perception of arithmetic. But but the fact was that, uh, you know, I, I knew I came from a system that was a lot more sophisticated, that even the educational system was well beyond anything I was experiencing here, and that basically I, my perception was they were kind of retarded here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. Oh, of course, that's a seven-year-old's judgment. I now think that they're completely retarded here, but that's all right. Um, so anyway, that that was an experience I went through. But um, And then the other one that, that actually was a big deal, I didn't know, I had no idea. I grew up in the New York area, in New York City, actually, to begin with. But New York um, has its own, it, it's its own thing. And... I, for some reason, never understood or never got uh, that people had any prejudice against black people. Somehow it just passed by me. And then uh, I had an experience with a kid that lived around the block, and these two two new boys came into the school system, and they were very, very fair. Uh, They were black, but, you know, they had a certain amount of black uh, genetics. But they were, you know, had a lot of white, too. And she was explaining to me how, you know, how they look so white. She said, well, I would even marry them if I didn't know. And I'm sitting there staring at her like, what? And uh, then I finally get, I finally get, after she goes through it again and again, that there was a problem that she was having with different races and I just turned to her and said, oh, my God, Elaine, what are you going to do when the ETs get here? <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, so these are the kind of comments I would make. That was Those were normal for me, and that was, you know, and I didn't realize that there was something strange about these reference points that I had that no one else seemed to have, you know. So, anyway, that was another one that... These are just clues, and I didn't even get this till way later on until I really had this encounter with ETs and was pulled into what I was about to do in terms of writing ET 101. I started to go back over my life and look at all these weird incidents and realize, actually, this has been going on forever, hasn't it? You know, And I didn't realize it until that moment You know, that that was part of my history and that was the... That was my perception. Was formed from another place. Let me ask you, Diana. Uh, when you did the thing about the math, uh, I, I had something similar to happen to me because I just couldn't do math, math and geometry. All those things were very hard on me. And one day, I I just exploded and I said, "Well, this is the wrong system. It should be based on twelve, not on ten. That yeah. was my big outburst in class. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I know, and I had a. I had an experience where I invited, this is one way later in the 90s, where I invited ETs, I, I, I asked for contact, 
And I did get it. But the first thing that happened when it was started to happen was that all of a sudden I got really nervous and I said, hold on, the math is different. And I, and so I was objecting and they said, you're going to have to, if you want what you've asked for, you're going to have to calm down about it and realize that this math system is not the system that we're from. And in order to understand or actually communicate with us, you're going to have to shift. So I did. And then I realized that with this, actually it was very comfortable after that because that was really more familiar to me than the math that I had been entrained in being here. And it is different. So I I agree, Lavendar, it's it's totally different, you know. So I never did ask you before, but was it around August of 1987 when you noticed a lot of changes happening for you during that August harmonic convergence? Did that seem to be a time of activation for you? I know you wrote this in the early 90s, but... No, I wrote it, uh, actually, I wrote it in 89. Oh, did you? 89? Okay. Yeah, so I guess, yes. I'd say, yes, certainly something got kicked off at that point. And, uh, yeah, I didn't publish it until 1990. And, I actually, it was published right on the summer solstice. That's the day it came off the press in 1990. So... We didn't but have anyway, the internet then, so no, how were you getting anything. the book out to people? Well, I had to do regular printing. You know, um, uh, I went. Everyone told me because I, I knew a lot of people that were publishers, and I, uh, my actual background was in graphic design and art, so I, I didn't have any problem making it into a book. You know, I, I mean, I knew how to do that kind of preparation, um, but all the people that were publishers around me said, you know, all you do is you print 5,000 of them, that's it, because you have to get them to all the distributors, and you have to, you know, there's certain things you do, and that's about what it takes to plug all those holes. And so, meanwhile, I was getting print 10,000. And they said, you are crazy. I said, well, maybe I am, but, but that's what I'm getting, and that's what I'm doing. So... So I did, you know, and uh, although the joke of it is, like the first book, the one I sent you, Lavendar, you know, uh-huh. the gate-folded one, the, you know, that, uh, actually that was a very expensive edition. When it finally went over to HarperCollins, they said they wouldn't even touch an edition like that. It was too expensive, you know, and it was a very expensive edition. But the fact was one night I came home while I was doing this and I, they all, everybody in the publishing industry, actually told me, you should, you cannot do that kind of a spiral bind. This is a wire, wire spiral bound, and um, and gate folded. Like I, I based it on the uh, um, the Mac manual, Macintosh manual, you know. And that was what they wanted. That's what the ETs wanted. But everyone that was in the publishing industry said, "No, no, you gotta. That's too expensive. And secondly, you can't um, you can't put it on a shelf. You know, you have to have a because it's backwards. You know, it's a, a manual. So you, if you put it on the shelf in a in a bookstore, you're looking at the wiring. 
which is why I came up with the gatefold idea, so that I could have a spine, and they could just, you know, do it backwards. But anyway, it was complicated, but it was a very expensive addition, and so I actually argued the point with with Mission Control, and I said, you know, this is petrol dollars we're talking about here. You know, if I do the gatefold like you want, and if I do the cover like you want, and all these things that you seem to want, I said, I can't do it. And they said, well, how much money do you have to do it uh, the other way? I said, well, I don't have any. They said, so it's a moot point, right? I said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, all right, never mind. So I called up Donnelly in Indiana. I said, go, you know, and I wanted, this is what I wanted. I wanted a gatefold, I wanted this, I wanted that. I asked him, I said, have you ever seen the Macintosh manuals? And they said, yeah. I said, oh, really? And they said, yeah, because we print them. And I said, oh. So so that, I said, so you know what I'm talking about and you know what I want. So let's come up with a, uh, come up with a, you know, a, a bill for 10000 Well, the bill for 10000 was huge. And, uh, and they wouldn't, I couldn't. They wanted me to pay everything up front, so we went all the way to the pr- the date that I I booked the press, but then um, they were going to kick it off the press because I hadn't paid them in full, and I really didn't have the money. The day before they were going to kick it off the press, I was given $50,000, and I paid the bill. Yeah. So they were right. I didn't have any money to publish it one way or the other, so may as well gamble. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, tell us what happened when you gave it to Harper. Uh, oh, Harper. I, yeah, that's see, that's the other thing. Is I did very well, and it was a big underground success. I was selling tons of books. And actually, I had to uh, – that was the reason the 10,000. I was almost out of books by the time we – you know, within two months, I was out of books and ordering another 10,000, you know, so this thing was taking off, and if I hadn't ordered the first ten thousand, that was that would have been a, a real mistake. But um, anyway, that kept going on, and then Harper Collins called me and said, because at, at that point I'd say I don't know, I was up to the fifty thousand or something mark, you know, for an underground hit, that's very hard to do because as a I published the book ultimately, and. Um, and you can't get into distribution in the big, you know, you can't get into Dalton's, you can't get into all these, dis, you know, places that distribute because they won't take something like that because um, they're afraid they're going to get stuck with stock. They can't return it because you've gone belly up because you're too little. That's really, and you don't have other books to bargain with. That's the way that one works. So, um then Harper Collins called me, and they wanted to buy the book. And um, I really didn't need to sell. That was a strange thing. I really was in good shape at that point. But um, I, I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? This is a time-sensitive piece, and it needs to go out, and I can't distribute it to the level that Harper Collins can. So for the benefit of the book and the benefit of the audience that it was aimed at, I agreed to sell. They first offered me $50,000. I laughed. I mean, I said, oh, you, you've got to be kidding. I said, I owe more money than that. 
and that you know uh, just on doing all these prints and everything. So ultimately, they settled for a very high amount of money. But um, but I also did something that I have to say, any of you authors out there, I did something that was uh, a very important, and I wrote a very very severe contract. And one of the things I, that in the back of my mind was nagging me was, what if these people really want to bury this book? Because that has happened, where a big press you know, multinational, which HarperCollins is, buys a book, they don't want it out, or somebody doesn't want it out, and then they get rid of it. And you can't get it back because they bought it. So I wrote into the contract that um, if the book went out of print, it automatically returned to me without any necessity of going to court. And... um, what ultimately did happen is they did try to bury it, and uh, and I, you know I I was I was naive in in the beginning about a lot of the stuff that was going on with the New World Order, and the fact is the person who owns HarperCollins at this point is Rupert Murdoch, and Rupert Murdoch is Knights of Malta. I mean, people that are have been looking at all the New World Order stuff will understand what that means, and. Uh, so there was a point at which they tried to bury the book, and what happened was uh, a friend of mine caught them in San Francisco. Amazon caught them because there was a huge demand for the book on Amazon now that it was out there you know, from a big publisher, and they couldn't get the book. And HarperCollins was saying, well, it's out of stock. When And then finally Amazon got on there and said, you know, HarperCollins is saying this book is out of stock, but the fact is it's out of print. So they just, you know, I mean, you can't think of everything. And these, you know, these attorneys come up with these. That was a way to not have the book returned to me and yet uh, keep it off the market. So that's why it disappeared, by the way. So, so it... So what? So when did it return to you? When did you get it back? Well, actually, at the same time <laughs> that that happened, I mean, I really gotten into a lot of crossfire on this one because um, one of the things was not only was you know Rupert Murdoch the owner of HarperCollins, so I hit that problem, but the I was published out of. Um, HarperCollins San Francisco, and that year they bannered my book. I was one of the banner books coming out of their catalog because HarperCollins San Francisco uh, was the part of HarperCollins that dealt with metaphysical and spiritual books. And so they bannered my book, and the other book they bannered was Pope John Paul. I forget what the name of that one was. And and I get the catalog from them showing my book up against John Paul, uh, Pope John Paul's whatever uh, book. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm up here with the, the Pope. This is kind of impressive. Well, no, that isn't a very good placement, actually, um, because uh, I think the Catholic Church also... Uh, was infuriated that my book was even in the same arena 
as his book was. So, so I had Rupert Murdoch, the Catholic Church, and then the next thing was the next thing that came after me was the U.S. government, uh, uh, the Forest Service, U.S. Forest Service. And all of this happened simultaneously. In fact, I was already in court with the U.S. Forest Service when... Uh, uh, when Har- when Harper Collins pulled this maneuver with removing the book from the market and hiding the fact that it was that they were pulling it out of print, and I couldn't do anything about what happened because I was fighting for my life in federal court, and the charges against me were accessing my home without a permit. What? How many people? Yes. That's what I went. I almost, I almost lost my life over this stupid, ridiculous thing. But, but, yeah, what they did was I had just because I had such a large settlement for Harper Collins, I was able to buy a very nice house, very nice, and I bought it, and it was slightly within the National Forest in uh, in Pagosa Springs, you know, and. Then after I bought it, and it never came up at the, uh, it never came up at the, you know, I forget what you, you know, the settlement when you, then it was never said in the, in the, when I bought the house, that somehow I was going to owe the Forest Service money for using what they were calling their road. Well, there's only one road to my house. And so then they said, well, sign this contract. The Forest Service said, Fine. "You have to sign this contract, and um, and you know, and then you have to pay us money, and then you can, you know, use the road to your house." And actually, I have to say, I I was very incensed by what they were doing because I I am from New York City, and I have to say, and I'm from the Bronx, and. I'll tell you one of the things that you learn in New York City is you learn to smell a scam about a light year away. Otherwise, you're going to be prey. So I just bottom-lined it right away with them. And I said, wait a minute. Uh, There's only one road to my house. You want me to sign a contract and give you money. I said, how come you're setting up a pop stand and I have to pay a toll? I don't get it, you know. Well, meanwhile, where this whole thing led was that it actually was emanating from the UN, that this was a fraud on the part of the Forest Service. I, I ended up going to elaborate uh, research into what was going on here. I did track down the treaty that that gave that the UN put out the Biodiversity Treaty, actually, and uh, why they were restricting my access is actually what they're trying to do is this this started out of the IUCN, the International Union of Conservation of Nature in more Switzerland, which was uh trying to seize control of the lands in the national forests of the United States and in other countries as well. They were France and Germany were also two of the countries that they were they were attempting this plan with, and what they were really doing was uh, seizing easement. And by seizing easement, 
easement being your access, the way you get to your property. They then became the owners of the land because they could revoke your um, easement and thereby isolate, you know, thereby owning the property because you had no way to get to it. So in other words, it was a form of serfdom they were creating. And I read that treaty. I mean, I ended up reading all these treaties. If you want to see really boring reading, man, you should read some of this stuff. But it's frightening. And what it was was what was coming to this whole nation. Very, very... I mean, I saw the freight train coming. And I thought, oh, my God, they have... They have usurped our entire government. They have usurped our courts. And they are running a policy that is no better than what Hitler put out in Mein Kampf. You know, in other words, they did have a implementation treaty that uh, a, a, a dissertation on how to do this, and and it was called Agenda 21. Anyway, long that I I don't want to I can't go any further into because it's so complicated. But but at the, at the same time, it was. It was a, a, an upfront, right in the face look at what the New World Order was, and I, you know, I don't believe in victimization in any way, but I did, I did know I was in there for a reason, and I never would have seen it so clearly as what I did get to see. It's very hard to explain to anyone what they ha- intend to do. Uh, because you, you're staring in the face of pathological people, and and they um, they can't be reasoned with. So so that's the complication, <laughs> in a nutshell, I guess. Okay, so what I'd like to do at this time is 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 read from from your book, okay? I'm going to start by by talking about special note from the publisher. This is ET101. Although you were warned to acquaint yourselves with the original manual before departing, a great number of you did not. If you've seen one manual, you've seen them all. has proved to be a cavalier attitude that many of you have lived to regret, even though most of you are too stunned and dazed by the process to remember just exactly what it is you're regretting. Being 400 light years from home and suddenly wondering, did I forget my toothbrush, is both annoying to mission control as well as useless to the mission. So for those of you who left your galaxy without it, an unprecedented reprinting of the manual has been authorized by the mission's governing councils. This is a remedial version of the original manual because you couldn't possibly handle the unexpurgated. Go version at this time. <laughs> this edition is the official American and Canadian translation, written in the vernacular and made current to your circumstances. It is the strong recommendation of the councils. Now that you have yourselves totally disassembled, why not take a moment to read the instructions? It is, it is, after all, at your request that we had written, the, and it's signed the Intergalactic Council. A word from Mission Control. Mission Control is the tactical arm of the extraterrestrial mission to planet Earth. 
We implement the decisions of the stellar councils and act as an intermediary between the members of the mission who have opted for infantry duty on the planet's surface and those who are serving the mission in any of its many off-planet divisions. It is our responsibility to maintain all communication systems among the vast forces that have now gathered in this planetary arena. Our purpose is to assist the planet and its inhabitants into a new consciousness and reality. Our prime directive is to coordinate the movements that spirit orchestrates. We are here to assure the decree of the high spiritual court is implemented and that the veils of the third dimension are parted so that light can enter. We have overseen the writing of this version of the Cosmic Instruction Manual at the request of the Intergalactic Council. We have done so because it is our mandate to assist all mission members in the successful completion of their many and varied assignments. Our instructions are to be a guiding force for this mission. Our status is servant to spirit. This is mission control speaking. We now end this transmission. So let me ask you, Diana, how long Mm -hmm. did it take you to write this book? Forty days. Forty days. So did you go through it? Did you know that that the energies were there and it would only be there for a short period of time? Was that given to you that way? Um, Not yet. I was taken to a very specific spot. And, uh, you know, I... uh, And then which had a tremendous ET energy, and uh, pretty much I was isolated, and it, and uh, it took, I, I finally, the day I started really writing, I marked it down, and it wasn't until it was all over that, you know, then I thought, I wonder how long this took me, uh, and that was where I got the count, it was 40 days, but wow. uh, it was only... Yeah, it was a very specific, high energy. That was all I was doing. I mean, I was encapsulated. There was, you know, I ran out of food, and I was trying to figure out why, because I was out of, I was, you know, in a remote area, so I had to go into the town to get food. And uh, and I realized it had been two weeks. I hadn't even looked up, you know. So, of course, I was out of food. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it was very, very, very intense. So, uh, on page eight, it says, level one words, look, Jane, see, spot, run, extraterrestrial. An extraterrestrial is not an alien. An alien is an alien. An extraterrestrial is a responsible citizen of the cosmos, not a foreigner adrift among the stars. Extraterrestrials are representatives of light, protectors of light, and lovers of the planet. They are indigenous to any planet they happen to be on by virtue of their citizenship, regardless of their planet of origin. Many of you have come to believe that you couldn't possibly be an extraterrestrial because you feel so connected to the Earth and love her so much. May we suggest that if you love this planet at all, you are an extraterrestrial. (laughs) May we also suggest that your concern for this planet was so great that you cared enough to send the very best, in, in this case, yourself. Alignment, not lineage defines the meaning of the term extraterrestrial. Although all life emanates from the same source, not all life is aligned with that source. An extraterrestrial is a being who is in sympathetic harmony with the, with the essence of its genesis. Alien. 
The people on this planet have expressed a certain neurotic fear about an alien invasion. That fear has been triggered by a nagging sense that in a limitless universe there must there just might be other intelligent life. In a typically xenophobic and self-cerning response, governments are arming against what they already know to be true. This, of course, is not general knowledge, but in this system of government, important information is never general knowledge. In the name of national security, the acts of government are often hidden from the governed. This statement is not to make you paranoid or stir you into political revolt. It's simply to demonstrate to you the behavior of an alien and the meaning of the term. You need not scour the skies for evidence of an alien invasion. Look around you instead. Look at those who are peddling fear, vending death, and poisoning the planet. Look at those who hide the truth so that the power they have derived from lying will not be threatened. And look at those sadly separated beings that have the audacity to gaze out upon the created universe, wondering if there could possibly be anyone else out there all the while arming just in case there is. This is the alien invasion you worry about, the one you externalize and fear. It is also the one that surrounds you and the one you've been living out for thousands of years. There is no point in, no point in fearing an invasion of aliens, since the invasion has already happened and the aliens are already here. You would be better advised to fear that no true intelligence will ever show up on this planet, and you'd be better advised not to fear anything at all. Now, there is a chapter here that I wanted to read because we deal with a lot of walk-ins in our, in our work. So mm-hmm. your definition of walk-in is really important for me to read today. Walk-in. Most of you have probably heard the term walk-in, but for the benefit of those who have been assigned to some real boondock outpost, we will explain its meaning. A walk-in is a member of the mission who has walked into a body that was previously occupied by another tenant. The main function of a walk-in is to assist ground crew members who came here in a more conventional manner to awaken to their true identity, hopefully before the mission is over. They retain much of their interdimensional consciousness and can move through dysfunctional patterns at an accelerated rate, making them invaluable to the numbed-out, befuddled crew members who have been here their entire lives. The walk-ins are an expeditionary unit, most of, most of whom will walk right back out once the task of awakening this planet is completed. Walk-ins are emissaries of light who are serving in this mission rendition of the foreign exchange program. Crawl-ins. Even the most urbane and knowledgeable m- members of the mission will not have heard the term crawl-in because we just made it up. Crawl-ins are planetary transition team members who opted to enter this plane through the normal, currently traumatic birth process. Upon arriving, most of them instantly reevaluated the situation and changed their minds, but were unable to figure out a way back. The majority of this group incarnated shortly after World War II, their advent being triggered by the Manhattan Project's birthing of the nuclear age and the subsequent atomic bombing of Japan. They are referred to as the war baby crop, or baby boomers, by the unsuspected local population. The crawl-ins are the backbone of this mission. If you're reading this, you are most likely one of them because the crawl-ins are the ones that necessitated the writing of this manual. (laughs) I love this book so much. (laughs) So would you comment a little bit on, have you met many walk-ins? Do you know much about the walk-in program? Yeah, yeah, I have met quite a few walk-ins, actually. Um, yeah, 
and they're walk-ins. There's no doubt about it. And um, I have had a lot of experience over my 30 years of of um, dealing with walk-ins in different places. I've even had to be a metasurgeon at times to stand and hold it when when something was actually happening where one person was leaving and another one was coming. Yeah. So I yeah, I've heard that whole transition uh, described in great detail. Yeah. Quite it's quite yeah, it's quite astounding actually. Yes. The other one that I want to read is truth. This one really is so spectacular, especially now that we're looking at the world and seeing what's happening out there with truth and lies. Truth. We have noticed that you pretend to value truth on this planet. Some spend a lifetime seeking it. Your legal systems demand it. And you can be sued if your business doesn't practice it. Your philosophers define it. Your scientists measure it. Your religions exalt it. And you all fight over it. Meanwhile, all, all you are doing is paying global lip service to it. There's an excellent reason for all of this. You have no idea what truth really is. How the obvious has escaped you is a tedious story. The abridged version of it amounts to this. You embraced fear. After that unholy act, it has been downhill ever since. Fear is the first lie, the lie that tells you that you are separated from the whole. Once it has been embraced, you are incapable of ever telling the truth under any circumstances without blowing the game. Truth, by its nature, is the light. Fear cannot, by its nature, be in the light without dying. It becomes a simple matter of self-interest. Fear has owned this planet, its people, and their systems for a long time. It does not wish to give up the property it has acquired because it is a parasitic life form that cannot live separated from your life forces. The truth is, you are the truth. It is not external to you, as you have been led to believe. For that reason, it is ludicrous to set out on a spiritual journey in search of it. It is likewise ridiculous to punish those who do not practice it when almost nobody on this planet does. As for for philosophically, no. Philo, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, how can you, you, when you wouldn't recognize it if it ran you over in the street? Meanwhile, measuring it is done in your attempt to dominate it, leading you further into the lie that it lives outside of you like an enemy that must be controlled. To exalt it is also to see it as separate, and fighting over it is so absurd as to not deserve our comment at all. The totality of your clinically insane behavior surrounding truth has been cleverly manipulated by fear in its attempt to keep your eyes off the truth. In this manner... Fear was able to continue uninterrupted and undetected in its process of eating you alive. But don't worry, there is a cure. All you need to do is awaken to the fact that you are the truth. As the light comes on, the parasite will die, leaving you joyously able to reclaim command. I love that so much. Oh, nice. <laughs> so... Tell us more about things that you're you're thinking about doing now. Are you writing a new book, bringing us more information? Oh, well, that's yes, yes, actually, yes. Um, I, I haven't I haven't completely started on it. I actually am doing a a bio on my website 
that's extending that <laughs> has mushroomed into a book. But so that one will be going on, and that one will be, I guess, really accessible. And then um, as soon as I get everything uh, completely lined up, which will be very shortly here, I'm going to take off and write the next installment on ET 101. And you're right, it will be graduate level. So you made a statement when I talked to you earlier, I will blend no more forever. Yes. Tell us how that came about. <laughs> um, again, this is that process of awakening to who I was. I mean, it, um, I, I one of the things that used to happen to me when I was a teenager would be I'd look in the mirror, you know, you know, getting ready to go out, and all of a sudden a voice would come. I, I could feel this voice. It wasn't like it was. In my, it would say, "Who are you?" Well, it scared it would scare me to death, and uh, because all you really want to do when you're a teenager is fit in. I mean, you certainly do not want to tackle the fact that you might, in fact, be unable to fit in. And so that was where this one kind of started. It started way back there, and uh, and and it started in my childhood. You know, when I was freely conversing with ETs about the strange customs that were on this planet. Um, so that kept, in the background, kept playing out. And uh, ultimately, I got to I got to a crossroad where I could no longer pretend that I had anything to do with this place. You know, I certainly was conversant in it, and and that ability to be conversant was definitely an asset because I could speak back to this culture about something else I knew how to translate and I um and actually the the entire book ET 101 was never ever given to me in English it was given to me in uh, it's a form of hologram that is spoken outside of here it's a it's like the whole thing it's given to you in a whole it, it isn't fractured into linguistic systems and, oh i totally and, and understand that totally you do because understand? aboard the ship what they'll do is they'll put a headset on you and download like 30 volumes yeah and they don't get to come out till later yeah exactly exactly and uh so that was that was, and, and when that happened, and you know, I, mean, I was very comfortable with that. I was very comfortable with that language, um, and so I didn't have, but but I did have to unpack it, and I did have to uh, reconstruct it, and then I had to express it in a manner that would make it accessible to people who were speaking language which is what ET 101 is. In other words, it's the entire book is a coded book from one end to the other. Uh, there is a whole level of communication that was placed into it. And to, today, for the last two days, I've been reading it again. And a whole other level is unpacking at this point. Yeah, I'm very aware of that. 
You, you are? What yes, is, absolutely. Was that your experience? Because you read it before and now you re- read it again. Yeah, I read, I, I read it before and I actually read it oh, about six months ago again, thinking, oh, I needed to find you. I put the call out in in the cosmos that I needed to find you. <laughs> so and and then you then you showed up so that's great but yeah I um um wow I just lost my train of thought it just went well from- it's about the unpacking like a I, I just saw another level in there that had to have been in, implanted in it in the beginning that I was not aware of yeah and I'm I was watching it I thought this is like reading a uh I felt like I was reading. Uh, a zip file. Yeah. And that it was starting to unpack in front of my eyes, and I thought, oh, my God, this was designed to be released twice. So which it, which explains why it's up again. Because this level that I just encountered is really a lot more sophisticated than the first level because the first level was for a very beginning uh, knowledge about the Starseed program. This one that I just encountered reading it again was a whole, a whole another system of code. That's exactly and what it is. It's code yeah, it is code. It's code from one end to the other. It, it, I knew that. On, I, I actually did know that, Lavendar, when I wrote in the first place. Because they came to me, that what they said to me was this: uh, you need to write this book in, like it is, as if it were a chalice, and it has to be able to um, handle a greater energy than it looks like it's doing. Right. I'd so, like to read actually my most favorite. My most favorite of all, I saved it for last. It's called the Quirk (laughs) Alliance. As a member of this mission and its planetary transition team, you should be aware of the presence of the Quirk Alliance. Although you cannot join this alliance, it is joining you. So we are including a short explanation of its function in this section of the manual for your information. The Quirk Alliance is a very powerful organization whose work is not immediately obvious because its jurisdiction is sub subatomic. Its presence and activities are dismissed by the human scientific community because any admissions of its existence would force them to recognize intelligence in places that would frighten them to find it. Acknowledging this alliance presence would also debunk science high priesthood by challenging both its knowledge and control. Since the scientific community is unlikely to defrock itself voluntarily, its denial of the Quirk Alliance is apt to continue. The Quirk Alliance has been responsible for many recent technological failures, which have been falsely attributed to such things as human error or, on occasion, metal fatigue. Although human error should never be underestimated, the issue of metal fatigue only hints at what is actually happening. What is occurring is conscious communication at the atomic level that has resulted in the unanimous decision to alter the fabric of your physical world. I want to read that again. What is occurring is conscious communication at the atomic level that has resulted in an unanimous decision to alter the fabric of your physical world. Metal is not becoming fatigue. Molecules are. Mm 
In fact, they are not just fatigued, they're entirely fed up. They are no longer willing to be servants to a technology wielded in denial of life and to the planet's jeopardy. Consequently, they are flat out refusing to cooperate, creating a certain amount of technological havoc. Through the work of the Quirk Alliance, atomic particles have begun their realignment with the forces of light and are in the process of of rearranging physical reality as they pull the subatomic carpet out from under the feet of denial. We apprise you of the Quirk Alliance existence so that you will not be surprised when you see the fabric of modern physics unraveling before your eyes. Pay no attention to the bazaars of technobabble that you'll be undoubtedly here as science attempts to maintain its power in the face of its ruin. In fact, you may as well just sit back and enjoy it, knowing it is only the passing protest of old form cracking under the superior force of the incoming light. What looks messy on the surface now will soon give way to a new order filled with harmony, cooperation, and joy. As we have mentioned, this list of job descriptions is no way represents the full spectrum of the mission. These are only brief descriptions of some of the tasks that some of you choose to do. The actual depth and breadth of the mission is beyond human description because it was architected in another dimension. On this dimension, you will have to be satisfied simply knowing that mission control is never sloppy. Our plans and programs cover every life form on the planet. So proceed with your specific mission, secure in your purpose, and strong in your love. And don't forget to keep in touch. (laughs) I love this book so much. (laughs) So I'm looking at the time. So at this time, I would like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, as she has the switchboard. And I'm sure there will be some people maybe calling in to talk to you. So will you be willing to talk to some of our starseed? Sure. Okay, good. So, Arielle, back to you. Okay. Well, this has just been fascinating, and I'm just so so proud to know you and to um, have actually read the book right after it first came out. So uh, we actually have a caller that's been waiting for some time to talk to you. And um, unless I'm mistaken, uh, her name is Diane. I, I think that's what it says there. Hi, is this Diane? Hi, yes it is. Okay, well, Diane, you're on the air with Diana. Hi, Diana, and hi, Ariel. Hello. Hi. Uh, I just I just think this is so awesome. It's such a full circle. Um, ironically, just last week, I was in a cleaning frenzy, cleaned out my bedside bureau, and went through the things that I really wanted to keep there and had to downsize. One of the books of which I was turmoil over was the ET 101 book that I had in the 90s, I believe. And uh, so, reluctantly, I put it in the closet. And then I come downstairs, and I get an email from Starseed saying that the author of ET 101 will be uh, interviewed. And back up to my room, take the book back out of the closet, and look at the content, and, and isn't one of the chapters out of the closet. So it's just it's too cool for me. <laughs> great. So then I had to go into your website and to, to learn as much as I could about how you wrote this book. And if, and if I have this correct, you actually wrote an article interviewing yourself on a book and published it before your book was actually written. Is that right, Diana? 
Yes, unfortunately, that is right. Oh, you, um, you'd have no idea how cool that is to me, though. <laughs> okay. Because this week, may I, I have to, this is crazy. Um, for so many years, I went back and forth of writing a book myself of my ET experiences, but wasn't sure if it was meant for adults or in a children's picture book because I work in kindergarten and I love picture books and kids are just our future. So, And I had a title and I said, that's it. I'm just making the book. So I made a cover, slapped it on this angel book that I have, wrote the title in my name, went to a big bookstore near my house, the only one, and actually put it on the, put it on the shelves, took pictures of it, visualized it. First I went to the children's section and then I went to the metaphysical section. I said, I don't know where it belongs, but it's just got to be done. And you did it, so I, it's out there. Yeah, it's just, you know, it, you, you can play with time. You know, it's malleable. I mean, that's basically what happened on this one. I, I, uh, well, I was trying to get something into the newspaper that I worked for. And I, was, right. I knew that they were going to object to a thing on ETs. You know, right. So, so I, so I made up the book. Uh, yeah, and the there's a you know um, a flaw in in the in the culture that if something is quoted from a book, then it immediately right. has some kind of plausibility. Right. So, and yeah. So then I decided I would simply that's what I would do. I would do a book review, and <laughs> uh, so I made up the book. <laughs> I made up the quotes from the book, <laughs> and meanwhile, I was trying to get this information to people about the fact that this was, a bit, you know, this was actually happening. Anyway, uh, long and short of it is, then after they did publish it, uh, a little bit of protest before they did, but they did. Yeah. And then I, then I, then then I felt obligated after because because I reviewed a book that and she. It, the, the the publisher said, "Are are you promised me this is going to be published here in this town?" You know, <laughs> and I said, "Well, yeah, sure. I, would I lie to you? You know, of course it is. All right, yeah, right. So that's what happened. And 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 then uh, then after that was over, I said, "Oh my God, I've just cornered myself completely. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> I, I mean, at first I thought I was being so brilliant. I really did." Because and and actually, I know that spirit was behind this entire mechanism because I thought I was getting around the paper, and actually, what I got was cornered by spirit because that was the book I had to read. I had to write. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then what I did is I was very careful to all the things I quoted in the newspaper. I was careful <laughs> to reproduce in the book. Right. Uh, yeah. So there. <laughs> That's how it That's happens. great. I know. Yeah, there's no point paying any attention to time. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. So good luck. Well, um, good luck. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to pass this book of my puppy on to my son, who's had his own ET experiences growing up. So that's another full circle. That's kind of cool. Good. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's great. It's a generational book. Yep. <laughs> great. Well, Diane, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, did you have any other right. questions? 
Um, no, I don't want to take up anyone else's time to ask a question. I'm very, very fortunate okay. and, and grateful to speak to both of you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, for ben. calling. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay. Well, um, we are going to be talking to Tammy here in just a second when I get your microphone open. Hello, Tammy. Hello you there. Are on the, <laughs> Tammy, is, Tammy is one of our staff, so um, okay. a sister. Go ahead with your question, sweetie. Uh, yeah, Diane. Um, as uh, the last caller said, we are very fortunate to have you on the planet and to have you on our show. This This manual that you wrote just... I came on last week and encouraged everyone to pick up that book. This one is a must-read once again for Starseed. All the questions that you ask, what am I doing here, what's my mission, on and on, it's all answered in this book in one form or another. Um, What a manual for empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. So thank you very much for that. You're welcome. And, so and one of my favorites is about the Rainbow Warrior that you wrote. Mm-hmm. We have these gatherings here in Arkansas, and, and, and it's I, I see the Rainbow Warriors coming and the tribes coming together. And um, could you say any more about? Well, you know, you, you know, the Rainbow Warrior, you know, comes out of um, uh, Native American. Uh, actually, it might be Hopi. I'm, I'm not quite sure which which tribe came up with that one. Uh, but they, yeah, it's I, it's Hopi because they they uh, perceive that at at this time, you know, when the end of the fourth world, beginning of the fifth world, I think is what they're talking about. And they and you know, in the Southwest, uh, all the Indian tribes, Pueblo, Ute. Hopi, they all have lore about the um, about um, ETs, and that's what the Kachinas are. They're their representation of ETs, and so they, what they are talking about is that this is going to come, and it's going to be the Rainbow Warrior means it, it is beyond any tribe, it is beyond any one people, any race. It will encompass the whole world and everyone will be represented and this is and this world will never be the same again and they do say that um so anyway that's what it was about i was you know and strangely enough that's exactly what's going on right now i I, i'm being you know approached and i haven't been seeking it but i've been approached by multiple translations coming up and you know uh, first it was French, now then Spanish, now it's uh, Italian. Um, so and it, and then I'm being interviewed in Israel because originally the book was in Hebrew at one point. So anyway, it's the awakening of everyone. It's the awakening, awakening of, of the tribes. So yeah. beautiful, huh? That is, that that just fills my heart. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm here in Arkansas and 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 where where the the Native American tribes would come and gather to bring in the peace, and and um, so I I love I love what you wrote um, about the Rainbow Warrior. Yeah. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and everybody. Oh, thank you. This is 
this is not something that you just pick up and you read through. This is a manual to keep by your bed. And when when you get in a funk, when you've got a question, your activation, your answer will be in this somewhere. So um, very honored to be speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy. Okay. Well, Tammy, thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Um, well, another comment from um, one of our switchboard producers. We're going to talk to Jada. Hello, Jada. You are on the air with Diana. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I love your book. <laughs> Thank you, Jada. And uh, Lavendar, thank you so much for sharing it with me. Lavendar had a copy when we were together in Arkansas a while back, and I was able to read through it fairly quickly over the weekend. But I just love the way your humor and wittiness are all throughout the book. And I agree with Tammy, this this should be something everybody should read because I think especially for people who may be waking up quickly and having things happen that are unpleasant, I think it can be really reassuring and take the edge off. And then also, as you guys were talking about the coding in it, I'm realizing I have to go back and read it a second time. So thank you for talking about that, too. (laughs) I can't wait to read it again. Yeah, it it unfolds in different levels. It, It was meant to. And um, and uh, it, the, that code was put in tonally. It's a it's uh, it's an audio frequency that's above normal hearing range. And the intent, and and it is what exactly what it does is to activate DNA. Okay, that makes wow. sense. Yeah, and like Anastasia was talking about in the you know news report, you know that obviously star seeds could do better. Yeah, because that's part of our genetic structure too. See, there is the genetic structure of of coming into this place and acquiring the trauma of an entire lineage. And I'll tell you, there's a lineage here that hasn't been traumatized at one point or another. You know. So everyone's got that on a genetic level, but we also have this other genetic strain that that we can draw on. And so that was the genet that's what the genetic strain that was being spoken to. It was to get that up, you know, and awaken it again. But everyone mm-hmm. that Starseed came in with that. That makes perfect sense. Mhm. Yeah, no point settling for the one they gave you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, and I'm I'm looking forward to reading this again and following your future work. All right, good. Thank you, Jada. Okay, well, thanks for your comment and question, Jada, and... Uh, if we have any other callers, I'm gonna I'm gonna put your mic back on mute. Okay, Jada. Okay. Okay. If anyone else has a a comment or question, uh, we have a few minutes left where we can um, handle that. If you're already on the switchboard, all you need to do is press one on your keypad. 
so we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer, then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And uh, we'll we'll give a, a few minutes to uh, to see if anyone else has a comment or question. Um, but I, I just want to I just want to say that uh, on that that topic that uh, Lavendar brought up, I will blend no more forever. That's really that's really a, a very freeing, liberating statement, and I think a lot of star seeds would relate to that. Yeah, I. And, you know. Anyway, that's that that that's running on my website, and I'm going to run that for a while because it. Uh, I think people have, they need to come out of the closet at this point. We don't. We can't afford everybody holding back because the only thing that's going to lead us out of, like even when I was talking about the law case that I went through, that's what's threatening this place. You know, it's threatening the whole world. And that's why there's so many star seeds here at this point in the first place. It's because this has to be overturned. Well, absolutely. And uh, as Lavendar um, has often said uh, in recent years, is that um, you know the, the time for for practicing and and uh, you know dipping your toe in the water. I mean, those times are over. It's it's time to get to work. You know, wake up, yeah. <laughs> smell the coffee, right. and get to work. You know, yeah. crack that whip, because we all, um, you know, came here with a mission. And uh, you know, if you get kind of buried by the third dimension, there's there's still um, things in place that can help you. Like you're talking about the um, DNA activation from the coding in this book, and um, multitudes of other uh you know planetary activations and um you know code implantation i mean you name it they're doing everything they can it's just like all right <laughs> it's time to wake up but um yeah i think I, a lot I of wanna... go ahead go ahead no, well there's something i want to add to that because um you know with all the stuff that's going on uh, politically and, you know, one desperate thing after another, I think it's very important to know that the really the only war that is going on here at all is a war against consciousness. And Oh, yeah. Like no, really, that. because that, all of that is, those, those are weapons of mass distraction that are going on, uh, con, you know, getting us more confused and more separated because this force that has controlled this planet is very afraid of this awakening because they will lose control overnight when this one goes off because they're basically parasitic they don't own this um they don't own this place as a matter of fact I ended up saying that in court I kept trying to figure out what didn't they understand I I was trying to tell him, you don't own me and you don't own you don't own my driveway. And then I ultimately realized that what I was saying to them, because dimensions are like octaves, they're stacked on one another. And what I was really saying to them was, you do not own the DNA and you do not own this planet. 
So that's right. the statement. You know, that's the statement. Mm-hmm. And they can't, and that, that was horrifying to them that I was saying that. Well, yeah, <laughs> they don't want to. I mean, truth is, is like poison to their agenda. That's exactly right. That's exactly you right. Know? It is poison. And yeah, I, and I kind of uh, um, had the image as you were talking of um, this, this, you know, this parasitical force that is trying desperately to um, stop this conscious awakening. They're like a like a uh, kind of an evil shepherd with a whole bunch of sheep, and you got one guy trying to keep more and more and more and more sheep just you know being sheep, and uh, you know if they return and stampede you know, strength in numbers, you know, um, the, the, the controlling, yeah. you know, that, that what you're calling the, the new order or the world order. Um, there's so few of them and, and they're, they're, they're outnumbered by millions and billions to one. Um, it's just, <laughs> it, it's so easy and their, 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 their hold is so, um, tenuous that, that, you know, a little bit of a crack and it all starts to come unraveled, and that's, yeah. you know. And, and, and it will be contagious, you know. It, the, the starseed, the, the, the people that came in to do this task will be able to ignite the rest of the consciousness of the planet. It doesn't take much. Um, actually, the American Revolution had less than 10%. Less than 10% of the people wanted to be free. And well, still it it, off. if it's the right ten percent, that's very powerful. That's exactly obviously. right, and it was the right ten percent, and that, and I, and I know that this is more than the right ten percent right now. That's here. You know, well, we have all of our individual missions, but the one that um, that we've been saying, and, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, is the the main, the one mission that we all have in common is to hold the light. And people say, well, what does that mean? You don't engage in fear. You don't engage in judgment. You, 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 um, you know, be, have grace with other people and, you know, nurturing and compassion. That's what holding the light is. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. And then if you do something else on top of that, all the better. But the bottom line is this is what, we, this is what we're here to do. And uh, it looks like we've got we've got another uh, caller in the uh, screening room. So as soon as they're done, we'll take one more call, and that might be the uh, only one we have time for. So, um, is there anything else that you want to uh, talk about that we haven't yet uh, this evening? No, I no, I just wanted that. Well, one point, let, that well then let me ask let me ask you another yeah. question then. Um, are you in regular contact with your with your team as you go forward with this? Yes. And um, have they given you additional um, information to put in the book? Because as you said, they were they covered certainly not all of the various missions, but some of the um, more maybe larger ones. But um, new information is is it coming through that you will add or or maybe put in your next book? I'm not sure how this struct this is going to be structured yet. Um, 
I know I'm being set up for it for sure because I, I can <laughs> see the telltale signs, and and there you know. Uh, but how how this is going to be how this is going to be formatted and how this is going to be stated, I don't yet know. I don't have it. Well, I mean, that's that's probably the, the the best way to do it, I, I imagine, because um, uh, you are you're kind of the the go between between them and and the the you know the troops on the planet. But yeah. I, you know, I just love I, I love your your writing style because I mean you're so you're witty and um, you know a little bit of humor can take. Um, Take things up a notch because well, it you just know, opens um, up. It opens people up, and then they can receive it. Otherwise, some of this stuff is very frightening to tell somebody. But if they're well, laughing, hard to be frightened. That's right. That's right. And you know, um, there are very few instances when your when your frequency goes higher than it does when you laugh. That's why they call laughter yeah. the best medicine because it it takes your whole frequency up. And uh, and that, like you said, it opens people up to that higher, maybe consciousness when uh, when you're not, you know, swirling around in in 3D drama. So I think uh, let me see if our caller is ready. Okay, uh, yes. So you are going to be talking to Wendy. Hi, Wendy. You are on the air with Diana. Hi, thank you very much. Hi, Diana, Ariel, Lavendar, all of you. This has been just a wonderful program, so I just wanted to say thank you very much for all three of you being there. And um, for Diana, the question that I have for you is um, a a few years ago, some DNA information came out that was all verified, and it was called the DNA haplogroup X2A. And it uh, was around a, uh, an individual called Michael Lee, and uh, his DNA was actually tested, and he came up with this haplogroup X2A, which has never been found before. And they were absolutely able to take that and trace it to all the mound builders in the uh, Lake Erie area, Ohio and New York and um, they started to find that there was a number of Native Americans in the Seneca group uh, in Cherokee and Lakota that were carrying this particular DNA haplogroup X2A, and it is directly related to the Anunnaki. Hmm. And he was, um, let's see, someone came to him who was not of government um, but was from a very special group, who they did introduce themselves as the Anunnaki and gave a full history about how the DNA had been brought in through the Anunnaki extraterrestrials uh, with the Native Americans here in America. So my question to you is, do you feel that in the future there is going to be more and more coming out about the different DNA groups uh, from the different uh, I thought I hate to call them extraterrestrials. I don't know what else to give them right now because let's say all these other wonderful star people who are coming in, um, and do you feel that we're going to find more of this being scientifically proven 
as we learn more about DNA, that the average person is carrying DNA from the different star systems. Have you heard anything from that? Well, one thing, of course, that that's come up is the um, Rh negative. Mm-hmm. That that's one whole group, and I I actually fall into that one Rh negative. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And those are hybrid, you know, hy- uh, where they're finding actually phys- different um, DNA, DNA that's not from this planet, which can't be coded as being from this planet. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm sure that's going to happen. I mean, uh, this whole thing is unwinding. Everything, everything is unwinding, you know. It, so, yeah. you know, why wouldn't that, you know, because basically our our genetic understanding is very primitive, actually. Right. Uh, I kind of had this little theory that, um, I guess I'll go ahead and mention their name, Ancestry.com, uh, where you can actually send in your DNA and find out where you come from. <laughs> and oh, I've nice. attempted to do it twice. And both times, you know, Wendy, we can't hear you. Um, You there, Wendy? I am here. Okay, we we missed that right after you said, are are you there? Can you hear us? I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, right after you said that you've tried, you you tried twice, and then we didn't hear anything after that. (laughs) Okay. So both times I sent my DNA and sample in to have it um, analyzed so that I could see where my roots come from because I I have a feeling there's some Native American in there, but I I don't know for sure. But uh, both times over last year and this year, I have to call back and say I never got my report, and both times they act as if nothing's ever been done and that it must have been lost. So uh, I'm starting to wonder if, you know, there is more and more of this going on as far as uh, people looking into other people's DNA to find starseeds or to find um, hybrids uh, to locate them, literally to locate Mm -hmm. them, whether it be government or cabal or other people. Yeah, I'm wondering wondering who's behind this whole thing. That's one of the thoughts that comes to me on this one. Yeah. Because, you know... Most of that is is about they're afraid of it and they want to control it. They want to micromanage it for God's sake. That's what they you know, and they're not going to be able to. I've I've seen that one. They're acting mm-hmm. like they can control this um, uh, genetic insertion that has taken place here, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly want to be in charge of whatever takes place, and so anyway, right. I'd be, I I'd be at least I, I'd be at least wary to find out a little bit more about the place you're dealing with and who they are, who they actually are. It's and the Mormons, you know. They it, it, they hold so much information in Utah. That's oh, who's actually, yeah, yeah. That's who's actually doing it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, thank you. I just wanted to get some more feedback, and uh, and I just wanted to also uh, say yes, you were absolutely right. The the Rainbow Prophecy was from the Hopis. 
Yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah, it was a really beautiful one. It, the actual prophecy I memorized because it was so beautiful was, when the earth is ravaged and the animals are dying, a new tribe of people shall come unto the earth from many colors, creeds, and classes, and who by their actions and deeds shall make the earth green again, and they shall be known as the warriors of the rainbow. That's it. That's it. Okay, I don't want to take up any more time because there may be other people behind me. But thank you so much for uh, your book and your work, and and, uh, may you just continue on with more and more writings. Thank you. Thank you. I will. Sure. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Wendy. Yes, absolutely. Bye-bye. Wow. That quotation gave me chills all up and down my body. That was beautiful. Uh Yeah. Thanks, Wendy. So um, I just wanted to, um, once again, let everyone know that your website is et101.net. And we want to thank you so much for the work that you have been doing all of your life, for the commitment that you made to come here in the first place, um, and all of the people that have benefited from your work and your connection and the message that you bring from Mission Control. We're so grateful to you and also for having the courage to come out again with this and you know, get your rights to the book back and everything that you've been through. So hats off and thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. This has been great. I appreciate all of you very, very much. So thank you. Well, you are so welcome. And um, when you have um, something new coming out or uh, just want to come back and visit, uh, you're always welcome here at Starseed Radio Academy. Thank you. Don't worry. You'll be the first to know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. So <clears throat> we are going to wrap it up now. Uh, and um, oh, Arielle, Lavendar? yes. Hello. You, you need to give her website and how to order the book. Well, well I just did. They give can the order website. the book. She did. She did give the website, and they can order the book. I didn't hear uh, it. Oh. Right. They can order it um, at your website, et101.net. Yeah, and then. Uh, on the on the net, on that page, it does a lot of it is it re- will refer you to exactly the right place on Amazon if you're getting it. It's in Kindle, it's in print on demand, it's in a lot of formats right now. But that they're all located there, and you can go anywhere you want from there. Okay, well, great. Well, it is our <laughs> fervent recommendation that everyone that listens to this show pick up a copy of ET 101 because um this is kind of a, this is especially um significant for us in that um when I met Lavendar this was the first book that she gave me to read as part of my galactic training and then we're going back to 1991 so we've come full circle and it feels good so everyone before before you go to sleep tonight, go order the book. <laughs> and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show, Diana. And it has right, just been thanks. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too. So uh, with that, we are going to um, say goodnight. 
and um, invite you all back next week. Um, I, I'm try. I, I can't. I know that the guest is um, Sarah Baldwin, and she's got some great, great new um, cards to uh, tell us about. So, um, with that, we're going to wish you all a great week, and please remember. Count your blessings every day. You're planting seeds for future prosperity if you do. So everyone take care, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 